Well, this is the sixth and final weekend of our series, Rebel with a Cause, looking at the towering figure of John the Baptist. And we've said there's so much we can learn from John, but through the course of the series, we've been learning about the power of purpose and how to live a life of purpose. And there is great power in living a life of purpose. Then our decisions become so much simpler when we're clear about our purpose. We have greater resiliency and joy in our hearts. And when we live with a sense of purpose, we live with a sense of significance, that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So over the course of the series, we've looked at six steps. Actually, we've looked at five steps so far. We've looked at five steps so far on living a life of purpose, and they've tracked with John's life. In the first week, we talked about start with God and what he says about our purpose and how he created us. <coughs> In that week, we looked at John the Baptist and how God had a plan for John, that was, uh, that me- and that message came through an angel. And just as God had a plan for John, he has a plan for us to be great in God's sight. And so God had that plan for, God- for John to prepare the way for the Messiah. Then in week two, we talked about listening to words of blessing in our lives and speaking blessing over others. So for John, that meant his father, Zechariah, blessed him. And, and agreed with God's plan for his life. And in the words of blessings we receive and the encouragement we receive, we can be pretty sure that aligns with God's plan or is a signpost to God's plan for our lives. Then in week three, we said this, grab your purpose from God's word. So God had a plan for John. Zechariah, his father, spoke blessing and agreed with that plan. But then at a certain point in John's life, he had to grab hold of that plan. And we said he grabbed hold of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, that he was the one out in the desert wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. And if we'll read Scripture, we will discover God's purpose and plan for our life or for a season that hidden in God's word is his plan for you and his purpose for you. Then two weeks ago, we talked about bringing alignment. John's life had such power and had such impact because there was an alignment between his language and his location and his lifestyle. And so people who live lives of purpose bring alignment, especially when it comes to the, the language or the message of their life and their lifestyle. <coughs> then last week, last week we talked about fighting through the doubt, that eventually in living a life of purpose, we will have doubts, but we can fight through them. And we, we learned a couple of strategies for doing that. And one, we talked about Uh, Just bringing our concerns to Jesus, asking him to encourage our hearts, and he will answer that. Second, we talked about having friends in faith who support us in a life of purpose. And finally, just in our own hearts, resolving that we won't quit and we won't give up. So today we're going to wrap up this series on John by looking at his final words. We see in John a a sixth step to take by looking at his final words words that are recorded in scripture. And so that got me thinking, you know, just about what are some famous last words or what are some last words uh, that might be interesting to share with you today. And so I looked these up on the internet, so I take no responsibility for the veracity there. But apparently these are some of the last words uh, of people. Uh, So Oscar Wilde, a famous Irish uh, playwright said this, either the wallpaper goes or I do. So apparently Oscar went. So, uh, Nostradamus, you know, predicted the future, said, tomorrow by sunrise, I will no longer be here. 
And he was right. He was no longer around. Um, I found these a lot funnier than you guys did, by the way. All right. Uh, Groucho Marx was suffering and sick, and he said, this is no way to live. And that was his final words. Um, Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca, that's one of my favorite movies, said this, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. So I don't know. Apparently that's what he thought did him in. And Jack Daniels from, you know, Tennessee Whiskey said one last drink. And then Marie Antoinette on her way um, uh, to her death said, said this, pardon me, monsieur, as she stepped on the foot of her executioner. So that was her final word. So again, I thought that was the funniest one. But anyway, I goes to show that's why I'm not in comedy. Anyway, so today we are looking at the last words of John the Baptist, and I promise you they are much more profound than anything we just shared. So actually to hear his last recorded words in, in the Gospels, we're going back a little bit in the story before he's imprisoned, and he's still doing ministry, and, and we're going to see what he says. So we're told, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the region of Judea, where he spent some time with them baptizing. So Jesus is now baptizing. And of course, John is John the Baptist. That's his signature move. But now we find out that Jesus, and it's really his disciples, is baptizing uh, as well. So John's ministry and Jesus' ministry are now going on at the same time. John had started first. Now Jesus is also ministering. We're told, John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was an abundance of water there, and people came to be baptized, for John had not yet been imprisoned. So John is also baptizing, and John's gospel gives us exact location in Anon, and people reading that a day were like, oh, okay, I know where that is, and we read it, and we're like, I don't know where that is, but it'd be like us saying, hey, you know, Baltimore coffee and tea, it's, you know, over there on Aylesbury by the light rail, or Riley's, you know, in Pannonia and York Road, right? There's Places, if you live in northern Baltimore County, we mention them, and you know where they are. So everyone would have known where this was. And so John's baptizing, Jesus is baptizing at the same time. The passage continues. Now a dispute arose between the disciples of John and a Jew about ceremonial washings. So they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here is baptizing, and everyone is coming to him. Now, this takes a little bit of explanation. So, you can kind of imagine the scene. You know, John the Baptist did a baptism of repentance. We've talked about this through the course of the series. And he would dunk people into the water, plunge them in the water, and they would come out. And this was supposed to be a sign of starting a new life. Well, the Jewish people had these ceremonial washings. They would wash their hands and uh, before food and, and meals. They would do these other washings after certain life events. And so we can kind of imagine this dispute or argument comes between one of John's disciples, John's disciples and a Jew. Or, and in, God's, in John's gospel, that usually means a Jewish leader. And that, you know, the, one, this Jewish leader is coming to John's disciples like, what is it this your, you, you, this your rabbi John is doing? He's like, you know, these baptisms, what are they? And then we can imagine that John the Baptist disciples being like, you know, no, they're, yeah, they're, they're not like the ceremonial washings. We know you might be confused, but it's meant to be a whole life start and brand new life. And then the Jewish leader like, well, I don't think he should be doing those because that's confusing people about the ceremonial washings. And then you can you kind of imagine this Jewish leader being like, 
And now it's spreading, that Jesus character, he's also doing these baptisms, and it's spreading, and people are going there, and you guys are all confusing people, and we can imagine John's disciples being like, wait a minute, what? What's going on? Like, do you ever have that experience where you're arguing about something or debating about something, and then a fact comes out of nowhere, something you didn't know? You're like, wait a minute, he's working for who now? He said what? She said what? She, she's dating who? Like, now there's like two things we're trying to figure out. We're having this one argument, but now there's this other thing that kind of upsets us. So John's disciples, after this argument with this Jewish leader, go running back to John. They're like, John, you're not going to believe it. But we just found out that Jesus' character, that guy you pointed the way to, he's doing baptisms now too. He's taking your signature move. And get this, John, crowds of people are going out to him. They're all going to see him. John, you got to tell them to stop it. you got to tell them to knock it off. Otherwise, people are going to stop liking your posts on Facebook or retweeting your tweets or sharing your posts on Instagram or you know, whatever else is out there today. And John, you got to knock it off. you got to tell them to knock it off because, John, you've worked so hard to build up your crowd, and if you don't stop him, everyone's going to go to him, and you're going to lose out on your popularity. And so John probably would have heard this, probably would have nodded, and I think he might have smiled. He would have smiled for two reasons. One, because it's just always good to have friends that have your back and support you. But in a few moments, we'll see a second reason why he smiled. But first, John says this. John answered and said, no one can receive anything except what was given to him from heaven. No one can receive anything except what was given to him from heaven. This is such a healthy and grounded and spiritually mature response from John. And he knew it at the age of 33, that young age, 33. And probably he understood it because he had had a crash course in the desert and that had grown him up. But it's a message many people are slow to get and some people never get. That everything we have is given to us from above. Life is a stewardship. And it all comes from God. Everything you have from your power, your influence, to maybe your material possessions, it all comes from God. Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And those who dwell therein. It all comes from God. It's a stewardship. There was a time before you have what you have now. There's a time right now where you have it, and there'll be a time where you no longer have it. When John D. Rockefeller died, he died one of the richest men alive. You know, one of the richest men on the planet. And so when, when he died, everyone wanted to know, well, how much was he worth? What was his net worth? So journalists came to John, John D. Rockefeller's accountant and said, how much did John D. leave? And his accountant answered, all of it. He had left it all behind. It was no longer John D.'s money. And so here's the paradox of the Christian life, and it's really the, the, the truth of living in the kingdom of God, the only kingdom that will ever last, and really the only true kingdom. We only really have what we've given away. Everything we hold on to 
we will lose. We only get to keep what we give away. And what we give away we'll have for eternity. Missionary Jim Elliott said this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, John understood this. Even though he had the crowds and the popularity, he knew he couldn't grasp onto them. That it was for him to let it go. And so he continues along this train of thought. He says to his disciples, You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but that I was sent before him. John says to his disciples, Hey, guys, I've told you all along, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Savior, but I was sent before him. And this was my purpose. And in this sense, this is our purpose as well. We are, we are sent before Jesus. We are sent before the Messiah. We're not the Messiah, but we're sent before him. And while, and while we all share this purpose, it looks different in all of our lives because no one else has the same mix of gifts and abilities and talents and strength of personality and opportunities and resources that you have. All of those come together in, in a mix that will never come together ever again in the history of the world. You get to serve God in this generation with that unique gifts of abilities and talents and resources and opportunities in a way no one else ever will get to do in a way that goes before Jesus and goes before the Messiah. So John continues on this train of thought. Now he uses an analogy. He says this. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the best man, who stands and listens to him, and he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice, so this joy may be complete. And so here John uses the analogy of a wedding feast, and to really understand and grasp what he's saying, we need to understand the difference between a wedding in that culture and in our culture. <coughs> so in our culture, weddings are all about the bride, right? We, we wait for the bride to show up. We wait for her to get to the back of the church, um, when, the, when the bride comes, everybody stands up, and when she comes, the wedding feast, the wedding celebration can start, right? The groom is, you know, at, you know an accessory or sometimes, you know, uh, you know, a necessary evil even, right? I mean, but, or an afterthought, but in that culture, it wasn't about the bride, it was about the groom, and when the groom came, the feast could start. And so the bride and her family would meet at the uh, groom's, at, the, at her house, and the best man would be out on the road waiting for the groom to come. And when the groom came, and when he heard the voice of the groom, he would run back to the bride's house, the bridal family's house, and say, the groom is coming. And there was excitement because now the wedding feast and celebration could start. And this is analogy, this is actually an analogy too for Jesus. Jesus is the groom and the church is his bride. We wait for him to come for the wedding feast to start. And so John is saying, you know, you guys want me to be all upset that everyone's going over to Jesus? No. My joy is complete. 
I'm only filled with joy at that because that means I've done my job. That was my role. That was my purpose. That means I fulfilled my purpose for my life. So John has joy. And then we hear the final words of John in, in, that are recorded in Scripture. And it's interesting, a, a chapter before, <coughs> a chapter before we hear the words of Mary, final words of Mary recorded in the, in the Gospels. And she says, do whatever he tells you. And that's her final words, talking about Jesus. Here is John's final words. He says, he must increase, I must decrease. And it's interesting, when I, when I wrote that down and was just kind of reflecting on these, I'm like, oh, I would love it for every fiber of my being to, to believe that or to want that, desire that. He must increase, I must decrease. It's the spiritual journey in six words. He must increase, I must decrease. Let, let's practice it out loud. He must increase. I must decrease. Let's try it again. He must increase. I must decrease. One last time. He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, if Jesus increases, does that mean I decrease into nothing? No. That What's increasing in us is the character of Jesus. And as the character of Jesus increases in us, we become more who God has created to be, that created us to be. And as we decrease, we get rid of all the things that really aren't us, but tear us down or bring us down or make us less than who we've been created to be. So as Jesus increases in us, we increase in Christ-like character. We get more of the compassion of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the wisdom and winsomeness of Jesus, more of the strength of spirit and courage of Jesus. Meanwhile, as we decrease, we get rid of that selfishness and self-centeredness. We get rid of the cowardice. We get rid of the fear and the worry and the anxiety as we decrease and Christ's character increases in us. So you are God's one-of-a-kind work of art. And you will become more of who he's created you to be as Jesus' character increases in you. So the question becomes, okay, how do we do that? And we could spend a lot of time on that, but... Maybe for this week, we just start by asking the question, by asking Jesus, Jesus, what do I need to let go of so you can increase and I can decrease? And maybe you need to let go of some worry or fear or anxiety or something negative. Or maybe we can learn from the life of John the Baptist and start with a place where we have abundance. Right? John was okay to decrease in popularity, to decrease in the crowds following him, if that meant Jesus increased. Maybe you have an abundance of influence or abundance of popularity, and you say, Jesus, how can I use that so that you are increased, so that people will know you, and it's more about you and less about me? Maybe you have worldly wealth, a wealth of material possessions, and it's Jesus, how do you increase in that and I decrease? 
How do I increase my standard of giving and lower my standard of living? And you invest in, in the church or ministries that are lifting up Jesus' name or, or nonprofits that are serving the poor or serving those in need and where Jesus gets the credit for helping them. Maybe you have an abundance of time. You spend a lot of your time in recreational. And recreation, of course, is good. There's nothing bad about it. But you spend a lot of time there. And you have some extra time. And you could give that time to serve in ministry here at church or to serve in the next-gen programs here or help the next generation or serve with one of our mission partners or someone else who's helping people in need. And so for you to decrease would be to take some of that time and for Jesus to increase to serve others. Maybe it's wisdom that you have, that you've learned a lot, and you have wisdom to pass on to the people who are coming behind you in your um, career, and you pass that on to them. So the question is, again, Jesus, you must increase, I must decrease. What do I need to let go of? What do I have an abundance of that I can give over to you, Jesus, so that your name can be lifted up? You know, as we wrap up this series, <clears throat> we've been asking this question throughout the series, you know, and saying, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And it's a good question. But maybe it's the second best question we can ask when it comes to purpose. Because maybe a little better question we can ask is, who is my purpose? Who is my purpose? And my purpose is the person of Jesus Christ, that he would increase in my life and that I would decrease. Because in the end, it's all about Jesus. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the John the Baptist, and we thank you for that healthy, mature response that everything comes from you, everything comes from heaven, everything comes from above, everything we've been given. Help us to grab hold of that truth. And to hold whatever we have, whatever you have given us, with empty hands, open hands, that you might use it for your glory. And God, we pray, help us to see how to let Jesus increase in us and we might decrease so we may fulfill the purpose of our lives, to prepare the way for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching with us today. Hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss a single thing. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you're part of our community.